Tonight I'm going to be sharing on It's a Family Affair. And one of the questions I get asked as a pastor is, how do I help my unsaved loved ones come to faith in Christ? It's a question that I think a lot of people have asked me throughout the years. And so we're going to take a look at what Scripture has to say. My first text is found in Acts chapter 16 and verse 34. And this is the account of, uh, of Paul and Silas in prison. And then after, at midnight, they began to sing praises unto God and began to lift up their voices. The Lord intervened, and there was a great earthquake that, that occurred. And upon this earthquake, the whole prison was liberated. I mean, all the chains were broken off, all the doors open, and the jailer who was uh, on night shift uh, thought, this is the end of my career. And he was mindful to take his own life. He was he He knew that either... He would take his life or the Roman government would take his life and uh, because he was responsible to keep the, the prison secure. And, and in that dark moment, the Lord gave Paul a word of knowledge and he cried out in that darkness and he said, don't do yourself any harm. And he said, we're all here. No one's abandoned you. No one's left. No one. This is not a jailbreak. This is a move of God. And this is the work of God. And it, and it happened because two men would not give in to the circumstances and and pressed into the spirit of God in the midst of a dark time. And because of that, the liberty that they were experiencing, everybody began to experience. And so the jailer, the jailer heard this appeal. And uh, upon upon finding who was communicating with him, uh, he took it upon himself to take Paul and Silas into his own home. He bandaged up their wounds, and then they shared the gospel with his family, and all of his family members came to faith in Christ that night. And this is where we pick up in verse 34. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Now, I, I don't believe that God uh, is it shows any... Partiality. I, I don't think he's a respecter of persons, and and I don't think it in in the same way that we can make anything a formula that's in the Word of God. Um, but I, I do know that there are things that we can learn from all that's written in the Word of God. And one of the things I I want to admonish you in tonight is that God is interested in your family. God cares about your family. God loves your family, and. And I, and I want you to know that he hasn't given up on your family. And, and, and I, I don't, I'm not going to stand here. I'm going to say if you do A, B, C, and D, God's going to do E, F, G, and H. I, I don't think that, that we can manipulate or coerce God in that way. Um, I, I think it's very dishonoring. But I do know, I do know that there's a lot of really insightful wisdom and counsel from the Word of God pertaining to his love for the lost and his desire that, that none would perish. As a matter of fact, if you just look at that, that portion of scripture that's in second Peter chapter three, this is, uh, Peter sharing in verse eight, but beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Now he's talking about the end of days and he's trying to bring perspective to people that are like us that want to know when and how God's going to do things. And he, he said, please, he said, let's not, let's not misinterpret 
uh, the way God works because he works on a different timeline than what we work on. And for him, time, time is different than it is for us. And our time is always now, and yet God's time is always perfect. And, he, and he's saying, but God is not slack concerning his promise. And he goes on and he, and he says that in verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness. So some people actually say God must be asleep or on vacation or must not be interested. And he said, and Peter's appealing to the church, do not allow yourself to go down that path with your understanding and with your faith. He says, but God is long suffering towards us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That it, that's the heart of God, is that none would perish and all would come to repentance. He's interested in your household, my household. He's interested in the world that he gave his only begotten son to die for. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He's, he's interested in people coming to a knowledge of the truth. That That is actually something that you and I need to hang our hat on. We need to get our feet firmly established in those truths and and not misunderstand what's going on in our family because it's not aligning with our timeline or it's not happening in the way that we believe it should happen. Uh, I'm not sure about you, but most of the time when we pray, we have a preconceived idea when we pray how God's going to answer. Is anybody else guilty of that? As a matter of fact, if he doesn't do it in the way that we preconceive that he should, we don't even recognize when he does it. And so that's it's really important that you keep a prayer journal because God is great at masquerading when he does stuff. And he does it, and then afterwards, you know, six months later, we're like, you know, God actually did that. I don't know if you've ever had that light bulb moment where you look back and you say, it, it, it sure looked a lot different than what I thought it would look like, but nonetheless, the job was done, and to God be the glory. So uh, if since you're like me in that way, I believe that what I'm about to share are just uh, ten nuggets. Everybody say nuggets. nuggets. Now, you, you guys know what a nugget is, right? A nugget is something that if we were to pan for gold, that it's just right there. You can see it. It's identifiable. It's recognized. You don't have to dig deep to get nuggets. They're just lying right there on top. And But sometimes we walk by nuggets because they're not deep enough for us. I mean, we feel like we got to drill deep. You got to go deep with God. To, you know, yeah, I mean, if you're going to hit gold or you're going to strike gold in a, in a deep, place in the earth you do have to dig but you know god puts a lot of of nuggets out there and he wants us to pick them up because that gold is just as valuable as the stuff that you have to dig 10 miles for but but somehow we feel better if we get some of the credit for digging i'm digging deep (laughs) i'm like yeah i keep digging and don't forget along the way there's a few nuggets that you should pick up because they're valuable they just they have just as much value as what you dig for right so here's here's my first here's my first response when people ask me that the question about you know their unsaved loved ones and how do i help them come to faith in christ i always share with them that it's god's heart to draw people to himself unless the father draws people to himself through the ministry of the holy spirit they're not going to be saved and so 
that is something that sometimes we feel the weight or the responsibility of helping someone to get saved, but the Holy Spirit is the helper, and he actually convinces them of their need for a Savior. So uh, I, I believe that God has got a draw on the heart of everybody that's on the planet. They just haven't identified that draw yet as God. Because eternity is in the heart of everyone, so there is a pull or a draw that, that is in the life of every individual. Of every individual. But while people may not want to talk to you about religion, they will talk to you about like life or death. And that can lead to a purpose why people need Christ in their life. So be sensitive to that. All right, so the second nugget that I want to share with you and that I share with people uh, along these lines when it comes to seeing their, their loved ones impacted for the goodness of God is that prayer should never be minimized. That Jesus said that we should pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the field. So the fields are what? White unto harvest. and But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest. It's the Lord's harvest. It's his field. But he needs laborers to go and work with him. So... Um, and you might be one of the laborers that God sends, but don't discount the value of other laborers going into their life. God has a lot of people in a lot of locations. Uh, recently, when we were in California visiting Charlene's uh, family, and we, so we were celebrating uh, her stepmom's 75th birthday, and so we were over at her stepbrother's house. And, and Jason has talked with his sister uh, numerous times throughout the years about he knows that he needs to get saved. Uh, he's used that language. I know I need to get saved. And yet he hasn't taken that step of faith yet. But there's that knowledge. What is it? There's that draw. There's an awareness of that. Now, he works in, uh, he works in the production area uh, in Burbank, California. We would call it Hollywood where they are producing movies and he does uh, special effects and he builds miniatures. Uh, and he's done, I could name a dozen movies. And you were like, really? And we would say, yeah, the miniature submarine. Yeah, Jason Rosine did the miniature submarine. You know the captain's chair and Star Trek. The minute, yeah, that's the handiwork of Jason Rosine. And so that's Charlene's brother, very creative uh, and, and incredibly intelligent. And yet he knows, he knows he needs Jesus. And, and just, but continues. I mean, sometimes to be such a stinker. I, I mean, you, isn't that the truth about some of the people we care about the most? And, and just, they can be such a turd, right? Can I use some other adjectives that'll maybe, you know, shake your rel- religious mind a little bit? I, I don't know if people have ever been, you know, Turkeys are turds in your world, but they have in ours. And if not, then, then you know, you're a lot nicer than me. But, um, and, and he can push buttons. Oh, my gosh, can he push buttons. He has enough knowledge of what he needs to do that he loves to get into this tit-for-tat argument. And so Shar and I just don't engage. We just allow his boiling point to continue to go up until he's so frustrated. We're like, Jay, you know what you need to do. Settle down, all right. So, 
But it's interesting. We're at his house, and he's typically not that hospitable. As a matter of fact, he is the one of all of the kids in the family that is the least likely to throw a party. As a matter of fact, he he shows up at parties with sometimes we believe the mindset of what can I do to undermine the fun of this gathering? How can I destroy this festivity? And and he's done it numerous times. And so sometimes he comes in with this sabotage mentality. I'm going to sabotage my family's fun time because we're not going to have fun on my watch. But he decided to have the party at his house. So all of the other siblings, you know, are like, one of them even said, you know, Doug, your services would really be important for this gathering. And what he's saying is, dude, you got to pray. We need you to be praying because this could be a setup for something that's a disaster. We get there and I, uh, I'm in the kitchen helping him sort of prepare some of the food. And I look over on the refrigerator and there is this big magnet that says Jesus saves. And so I said to Charlene, I said, every day, because he's like most of us men in the room. I don't know if, well, let me just say this. And you can let me know if you're like this. I go to the refrigerator when I know what's in there, but I open the door expecting something else to be in there from the last time I opened the door. Are you guys like that? Somehow magically, when I open the refrigerator, nothing I is palatable that's in there. But I'll close it, and ten minutes later, I believe I'll discover something palatable. Jay's like that. He goes to the refrigerator numerous times, and he sees that. There's a draw on the hearts of people. There's a heart, there is a draw on the hearts of people. All right, third nugget is understand that faith and patience are how we obtain the promise. Uh, some things just take some time. Here's the best thing that you can do while God is working on behalf of your prayer and while he's drawing people to himself is you enjoy Jesus. Because if you don't enjoy Jesus, what makes you think that your relatives think that serving God would be enjoyful or joyful? So you enjoy your salvation. You be thankful for the grace of God. You give glory to God. You be happy as a Christian. And the Holy Spirit will continue to work on your loved ones. Fourth nugget is exercise authority in Jesus' name. The devil is the one who's blinding the minds of those who have yet to believe. He's blinding them. And yet, if you take authority in the name of Jesus over the forces of darkness and thank God for sending labors, let God draw them, you enjoy Jesus, but realize the authority is in the name of Jesus and put faith in the name of Jesus and rest in the name of Jesus. Break the power of darkness over them in the name of Jesus and thank God that he's sending the light of the gospel that will open up their blinded eyes so that they could see the truth of Jesus. Number five, and this is one that I think all of us need to be reminded of. Don't nag. Don't nag. I'll just talk to myself for a minute. Doug, don't nag. 
Don't debate or try to reason with your loved ones. As a matter of fact, the, the counsel of God's word tells us that you can't, you can't do that and expect to get results. What you're going to do is you're going to create animosity and friction and resentment. And tension is going to come into that relationship. I want to share with you that your loved ones know what you believe. They already know what you believe. They just want to see a little bit more evidence of your love for them the way that you say Jesus loves them. We tell them Jesus loves them, but Jesus also loves them through us. And Jesus was, fill in the blank, a blank of sinners. What is friend? That's a stretch for people that have a knowledge of the truth. And we have to be careful along those lines, not to nag or not to, you know, debate and not to get into, you know, a deep theological discussion. People know what you believe and they know who you stand for. Number six, environment matters. These are just nuggets that I'm presenting to you, how we can impact our loved ones, how we can see people come to faith in Christ. Environment matters. So what creates environment? Words. Words do. Uh, it's, it's one of the things that I think all of us wish at times we had the opportunity to rewind the tape and not say certain things in a certain tone. So since all of us have, have done that, God is gracious. His mercies are new every morning and he gives us an opportunity to go ahead and go forward in that relationship. We'll face the same temptation, and he wants us to handle it different this time. He wants us to use our words properly. So we know what to do if we've used our words improperly. We just own it, take responsibility, ask for forgiveness, and we work on strengthening that area of our life. This is where pushing buttons and pulling levers comes into relationships. No one knows how to push buttons more than family because they have ammunition. They're family. They have seen us in every imaginable scenario. Remember your siblings? They've been with you their whole life. They know. They know things that you don't believe they know. They have memories that you wish they didn't have. They were there when you wish they weren't there. So when it comes to family, there are certain dynamics with it because of history. And we have to be aware of that. While God has changed us and while old things are passed away in our life, sometimes they remember the old stuff. <laughs> and they'll occasionally, you know, just throw it out there to see what kind of response they get. In that moment... Be careful how you respond. Use your words wisely. So environment matters. Create the right environment. Season a lot of things with salt. Make it salty. Here's something to remember. Nugget number seven. It is the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. We say all the time, 
If I was to say the statement, I want you to finish it. God is good. And all the time. You've heard that and heard that and heard that. Right? Let's start believing that. God is good towards the unsaved. He is just towards the unjust. He is righteous towards the unrighteous. He is loving to the unlovable. He loves them. So we have to do a a paradigm shift in our thinking. I I would never endorse sin. I don't condone it. Uh, But I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to bring conviction about sin to the individual. How? When I present the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. So if I share how good God is, somehow the Holy Spirit convinces the sinner of how bad they need him because of how awful they've been. So if you share one verse that, you know, for Christ died once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, somehow the Holy Spirit says, you're that unrighteous one that God loves so much. I didn't say it. I just quoted the scripture. And what did I quote? That God, a righteous God, loves an unrighteous person so much that he gave his only son for them. You could take them to the book of Romans and scarcely for a righteous person would anyone die. But perceive for an unrighteous person? Yeah, that's Jesus. People know they're already under a sentence of guilt. What brings that sentence off of them is when they hear of the goodness of God. God still has a path for them and a way for them to know him. And he loves them eternally. Some people believe they've just gone too far. Have you ever talked to someone? They just believe that, you know, they've just their wrongs can never be made right. They've just gone too far. There's no way there's no way that they could be forgiven. Find verses to write or to share with that person about the goodness of God and that use the word all and every. All your sins are forgiven. Every transgression cleansed. And remind them it's the blood of Jesus that does it. Greater love has no man than he laid down his life for... What's the last two words there? His friends. That's good news. That is good news. All right. So it's the goodness of God. Number eight. We're almost at the time for a drum roll. You ready for this, Pierce? I mean, we're getting there. You're the man. All right. Number eight. I started with this, so we're going to bookend it at this. Is God loves your family. He doesn't love them less or more than anyone. He loves them exactly the same as he loves everybody else. He loves them all the same. Number nine, nugget. And this is something that I think all of us can get better at and can get gooder at. How about working on your relationships? While you cannot relate to your family in every way, somehow you relate to them in some things. So let's sort of work on what we can work on. How can I relate to someone in my family. After all, they are a relative. Aren't those all sort of 
clumped in the same ball of clay, relate, relative, relationships, foundational thought, relate. You have to work at that. It may not come real easy to you. Short testimony, my brother and I uh, were, were Mutt and Jeff, and he, he was a cat and I was a dog. And I say that because cats are inferior to dogs. So I'm saying that I'm superior to my brother. So um, we, we could disagree about anything just for the sake, just for the principle of it. Even though we could probably agree with it, one of us would take the other side of the coin just because we could. And we would see how far we could push the other's envelope before, you know, the gloves came on and the fisticuffs began to happen. And this, this was common occurrence with my, with my brother and I. So I get saved and my brother doesn't. As a matter of fact, he tells me that actually, you know, you've heard the phrase, hell freeze over before I get saved. Um, when my mom was, uh, she was managing a travel agency. So I was 16. My brother was 18. Old enough, she thought, responsible enough to leave us on our own while she took a tour of people to Germany uh, for 10 days. Uh, grand o- o- oleosa mistake. And so uh, my brother thought on Friday night would be a fun night to have a party. And so uh, I, I'm playing football. I get home from the game and our little duplex on Rambler Road in Hutchinson, Kansas, is filled with his friends who are already half out of their mind, and he's playing Led Zeppelin, Houses of a Holy, as loud as he can. And so I can hear the music as I pull into the driveway with my pristine 1973 P. Green Vega. And so I pull into the drive, and I go inside, and they have lost their mind already. They've drank that much. And so I, I said to Steve, Steve, hey, all your friends got to go. When that happens, a mutual friend of both of us really lost his mind and took a five-pound metal weight and threw it at me like a Frisbee. And so I caught it and put it down, and I just said, you have to go. And he said, all right. And then I helped the others get out of there. When that moment was done, my brother came after me. Of course, he was already a mess, so I just pulled the shirt over the top of his head, right? And so he's swinging in the air like this, and I've got his shirt over the top of his head, and I just push him down the stairs. It's only 13 stairs. And he's okay. He bounced just fine. No broken bones. I don't think he even felt it the next day. But the next day I woke up and I'm, I'm going to uh, uh, get my Bible because now I'm a good Christian kid. I'm going to read my Bible. And so I go to get my Bible and somehow in the middle of the night my brother must have come to his senses, sobered up, and he went and got a permanent marker and wrote on the leaflet of my Bible This is the dumbest book ever. So we fast forward a number of years and um, 
we're in Garden City, Kansas. Char and I are married. It's a completely different season. So we're 12 years past this incident. And there was a youth minister in Garden City that Charlene and I developed a relationship with Gary Ridge. Gary got a call to go to Hutchinson, Kansas to work at uh, the Baptist church there. And when he went to town, he's in the grocery store one day, and my brother is standing in line in front of him, and he looks at him, and hears his voice, and he just is amazed, and he said, do you have a brother named Doug? My brother turns around, typical Steve response at that time, who wants to know? And he said, I do. Well, who are you? He said, well, I'm Gary Ridge. What's that to me? Six weeks later, my brother and his wife go to the church and get saved. That's awesome, right? We're very, very happy. So I worked at a relationship in those 12 years with my brother. You've heard other stories about that where I've called them and said, Hey, Steve, you know, we haven't talked for two years. That's not good. We need to talk. It's work. It's work. Someone has to break the ice. Someone has to start putting planks on their side of the bridge. Someone has to write a card, send a card, send a text, do something. And the number, the last thing, number ten nugget is be led by God's Spirit. God's creative. Just He might ask you to do something that you really don't want to do. As a matter of fact. I would guarantee if the Spirit of God is involved with it, it's going to really make your flesh angry. (laughs) Because part of the work of the Spirit is to get us to not give in to the flesh. So the Spirit helps us to crucify the desires of the flesh. You have flesh and I have flesh. And I know what the mind of the flesh is. Do you know what the mind of the flesh is? Give me a pound of flesh and I'll be happy. That's the mind of the flesh. It's carnal, it's sensual, it's selfish. But the mind of the spirit, you know what the mind of the spirit is? Die to yourself, Doug. Serve. Sacrifice. Go the second mile. Bless. Do good. Love. Pray. That's the mind of the spirit. Believe. Trust. Be patient. Be kind, be good, be gentle. The mind of the flesh is, (laughs) let's take them out back and beat it out of them or beat it into them. Never really produces much, does it? (laughs) Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.